this shirt. Anything. Anything, Cindy. Anything wrong with this shirt? No. Oh, there you go. Maybe this is Mike's shirt. No, probably not. But uh, last uh, Saturday, not yesterday, but the week before, uh, I was a part of an informal celebration of life for Fred Zeppi. And I was getting ready to go, and I had this shirt on, and someone said, you're going with that? Yes, they did. So what do you think I did? I did change it. I did change it. Now, that reminds me of another time. It was a Monday, probably about 15 years ago, and Monday's usually my day off, and uh, I was uh, in a little rougher condition than normal, you know. I uh, had a T-shirt on, hadn't showered. I, I didn't smell, but uh, that's my point of view. And uh, we got this call that sweet Helen Liu had broken her ankle and was in a rehab center, and I thought I ought to go see her. And so I just walked out the door, or started to walk out the door, and I got from Cindy, you are wearing that? I said, yes, I am wearing this. And I didn't change it. And I said to her, it's okay to go see Helen Lou dressed like this because Helen Lou can't see. So she won't know what I'm wearing. And so sure enough, I went to go visit Helen Lou, and she had no idea. Now, of course, Cindy was concerned that the uh, people at the nursing home uh, would have been like, who is that, Helen Lou? Oh, that was my pastor. Oh, your pastor. But, you know, I wasn't worried about that. So that time, I stayed exactly the dress that I, that I had. You know, all of us have lots of opportunities for relation slips. Sometimes we're delivering them to somebody else. Sometimes they're being delivered to us. And we've been working our way through a number of these. And uh, we've talked about our relationships with God and how if we're going to lessen relationships, we really need to be in a growing relationship with Him. Uh, we've also talked about our relationships when it comes to being employed and uh, it comes to being the one who's the employer. And last week we talked a little bit about parenting. And uh, you can get those, as I already said, they're all available online. But this week, we, we switch gears a little bit, and we get into this idea of relationships in marriage. And this isn't out of any particular... Well, the order of this is because of the way it, it flows out of Ephesians. But today, we're going to talk about wives, and we're going to talk about the roles of wives. And uh, there's plenty of room for me to get into trouble, so bear with me. And then next week, we'll, we'll talk about, about husbands. But before we get going, I thought it would be good just to stop and pray. Uh, a lot of things going on in our world today and uh, need God to really show up. And we as Christ followers need to be his hands and feet in a lot of situations. So if you just pray with me as we prepare for this morning's message. Heavenly Father, I thank you that we can gather together. I thank you that we can celebrate who you are. And literally around the world, this is taking place in different scenarios. And we especially right now think of those folks in Louisiana and Texas and out in California with fires and uh, how their whole world has just been turned up and the amplification of that is just so much larger than just COVID-19. 
And we pray that as people try to gather, people try to serve you, people try to demonstrate the love of Christ, that you would just give them that strength. I can't imagine waking up under some of those circumstances. And we pray that they would know that they're loved by you, loved by others, and that people would literally show that love to others. Lord, we, we also pray for um, this election season and all that's going on with that. Uh, we ask that uh, you would just have your hand on this whole process, and we look and lean into you. Help us to do our part, but help us not to be over-preoccupied and super nervous about that. We realize that it is in your hands. We also uh, pray for military families, especially uh, those military families that lost some loved ones this weekend. And sometimes we uh, aren't thinking about how our military services, how our police officers included, are putting themselves in harm's way. Uh, yes, there are some that uh, aren't as what we would like them to be, but the majority of them are trying to serve uh, in different capacities. So we just ask that you would um, encourage and strengthen those families that are experiencing loss, uh, those that have been uh, injured in some of these legitimate protests that all of a sudden turned into rioting. Uh, we place them in your hands and just ask that you would be able to come alongside them. We're also very mindful of other churches in our area that are uh, meeting at this time, and we just ask that you continue to use the churches, uh, the Christ followers, and the Finger Lakes to really make a difference. We think of the Mennonite Church just around the corner. Uh, we think of uh, First Baptist down in Interlake and Jess and the Interlake and Reformed Church down in Interlake and with Dave. Uh, we think of uh, Waterloo Baptist and with Dave also. Uh, we think of Ray over at Calvary Chapel. And uh, we think of Dale at uh, the Assembly of God Church in Geneva and Jamerson at Christian uh, Lake Church and the many others. And we just uh, thank you for them. And we pray that we, as we follow you, would be able to point to you uh, in significant, godly ways. Uh, we ask all of this in Jesus' name. Amen. So, as we think about relationships, as we think about marriage, we think about uh, you know, wives and all of that and the role and how this thing is all supposed to work. Uh, some of our problem, some of our difficulty is because of basically attitudes like I'm going to show you, and I, I don't know really how we got to this, but uh, somehow this is the way people viewed marriage back in the 50s and 60s, and it's creeped in and it's still hanging out there. Some of that might be good, but probably not from this video. This, this narration is from like the home ec book of the day, telling wives how to uh, act with their husbands. This is not made up. The video is a newer video, but the words you hear would be what you saw in the textbook back in those days. Your goal is to try to make sure your home is a place of peace, order, and tranquility where your husband can renew himself in body and spirit. Prepare yourself. Take 15 minutes to rest so you'll be refreshed when he arrives. Touch up your makeup. Put something decorative in your hair, like a ribbon or a flower. Be happy to see him.
greet him with a warm smile and show sincerity in your desire to please him. Speak in a low, soothing, and pleasant voice. Make the evening his. Never complain if he comes home late or goes out to dinner without you. Instead, try to understand his world of strain and pressure and his need to relax. Don't ask questions about his actions or question his judgment or integrity. Remember, he is the master of the house and as such will always exercise his will with fairness and truthfulness. You have no right to question him. Listen to him. You may have a dozen important things to tell him, but the moment of his arrival is not the time. Let him talk first. Remember, his topics of conversation are more important than yours. Remember, a good wife always knows her place. What? That was it. That was the way it was. And some of you may think you're trying to still live in that day. I got a rude awakening for you. But it's, uh, it's kind of sobering to think that when some of us uh, might see some of the extreme expressions of the whole women's liberation movement, it's because of that. It's because the church was silent. And the church allowed that kind of uh, attitude and view to just carry on and on and on. And it actually makes me think about what kinds of things are we being silent of today that's going to create a new movement. We could even look at Black Lives Matter and say, wow, where did that come from? Maybe some of it, maybe some of what's contributed to it is we as Christ followers have been silent in places we shouldn't be silent. And what's on the horizon? Well, I'm not going to talk too much about that this morning. I'll take the easier subject of talking about marriage and, and wives and the roles and how that all works together. But in that opener you saw, they talked about um, the idea that a lot of good things have happened as Christ followers have gathered together and moved positive agendas forward. Uh, we saw that, you know, orphanages, hospitals, university caring for other people. So a lot of times uh, uh, the PR and the um, press coverage that uh, Christ followers get or Christians get is very negative. There's a lot more out there uh, than, than the negative. Uh, this week, uh, some of us were rocked by hearing things coming out of uh, Liberty University and Jerry Falwell Jr. And, and that stuff gets all the coverage. But there's lots more good going on. When we started last week, we talked about this, and this I, I absolutely believe. In every society that has moved towards a Christ-centered worldview, women and children are far better. And if you would take all the events of history, take all the movements, you would actually discover that that statement is true. So we need to be careful. We need to be careful as Christ followers, again, that we're not silent on things. And I think this whole uh, roles between uh, men and women, husbands and wives, is all because uh, we've kind of been silent on things that we shouldn't have been silent on. We pulled back, and then all of a sudden, it created momentum and energy uh, to go to another extreme from one extreme. So Paul writes about this in Ephesians. And so we're going to be using the voice version, the voice paraphrase, and what I like about the voice version is what uh, the, the group that put this translation together is they take into account what is in the previous verses. Because sometimes you start a verse off and you don't 
tie in the ideas that were previously communicated. And they seem to do a, a really good job at doing that. Uh, just a reminder that the original languages, especially Greek, had hardly any punctuation, any sentences. Sentences would just go on and on and on. So as people are going to those original languages and translating them into English so that we can understand, uh, there are some places where they have to say, this is where I think I'm, a thought starts and this is where one stops and, and those kinds of things. There's pronouns and, uh, and all kinds of different things. So they have to take some interpretation with that. And so uh, voice does a good job with that, uh, trying to incorporate that. So let's look at verse 21. And you'll notice that some of your Bibles uh, have verse 21 in the preceding section, and some have it in the new section. And I really think it falls well to be in the section that starts to talk about family. So it has this overarching thought. It says, and the Spirit. It's interesting, if you go back to verse 18, it talks about the Holy Spirit, God working in us. Uh, and the Spirit makes it possible to submit humbly to one another out of respect for the anointed. There's another little tidbit here. This word anointed is Christ. And when you and I read Christ, we think of Jesus Christ. But the word Christ actually means anointed. So every time you see Christ, you are seeing anointed. So the people uh, working on the uh, voice translation said, let's go back to what that word actually means. Uh, Christ is not Jesus' last name. Jesus, Jesus Christ. It's, it's the anointed one, the promised one. So he starts off by saying, first of all, when you think about a family, when you think about these relationships, last week we talked about children, you need to understand that what I'm going to give to you in the human natural condition is hard. It's hard to put others first. It's hard to be loving. It's hard to put your agenda on the side for the benefit of somebody else. It doesn't matter if you're male or female, those things are hard. And what Paul wants us to realize is that you and I need God in our life, shaping our lives, speaking to our hearts so that we can actually practice this. I think some of us can practice this uh, a little bit on our own with lots of discipline and grit and resolve, but I find it much easier as a Christ follower, someone who has said yes to Christ, to allow him to impress upon my heart, my mind, my soul, whatever you want to say, and, and lead me. And some of us who are Christ followers, what I would say, all of us who are Christ followers have those moments where you know, I shouldn't go there, I should go there, I should do this, I shouldn't do this, maybe I should help in this way, and I want to be more sensitive to that. And that helps me with all these roles so my relationships are minimized. They're not going to totally go away, but they can be minimized so there's less and less of them. So, he gets into verse 22. Wives, it should be no different with your husbands. Submit to them as you do the Lord. For God has given husbands a sacred duty to lead as the anointed leads, as Christ leads the church and serves as the head. The church is his body. He is, his, he is her savior. So, wives, submit to their husbands respectfully in all things, just as the church yields to the anointed one. I want to say this again. That opening little vignette is not the expression of what Paul is getting at. That's exact opposite of that, of what you saw in that black and white um, excerpt from a home ec book from the 50s and 60s. 
So what does this mean? What is, what is Paul getting at? This is very sensitive to us again because historically, a lot of times, uh, people who have claimed to be Christ followers, people who are Christ, Christ followers, have, have kind of functioned in the extreme negative form of this. And as we walk through, I'm not going to be able to cover everything today, but as we get into next week, we're going to see what a husband's response is, but you're going to get the flavor of that as we walk through. Well, the first thing I want you to see is that submit is actually a military term, and which means to submit your agenda, arranging troops under the command of a leader to the greater whole. So as you think of about a, a unit, a military unit, they have to move as one, um, they have to submit to the directions of the person who's leading them and directing them so they can move, and they can move together. Uh, the same is true in this idea of relationships, as we, as we have an agenda, and we have a direction to move. And I don't want to get too far ahead of myself, but we think of Christ being the head of the church, the one directing, motivating us, moving us in that direction. Uh, then we respond to him like that. That's why we have an expression of our mission statement, which really the nuts and bolts is common to every church that's trying to follow Christ. We talk about trying to make a difference in people's lives uh, by leading them into a growing relationship with God through Christ and what that means. And that's what rallies us together as a church family. We march under that, those orders, if you will. And the same thing, in a sense, is true in a local family, as you're trying to make a difference in everybody's life, and you're trying to move in that direction and point them to God. And we saw that uh, last week. If we go back to uh, Genesis, the first book of the Bible we read, that's why a man will leave his own father and mother. He marries, I love the King James word there, cleave, hang on, uh, a woman, and the two of them become like one person. Sometimes we look at that event as marrying is a one and done. I'm married now. But I like the idea that cleaving as a continual action, you cleave to your marriage partner, your spouse. You hold on to them. When I uh, officiate at a wedding, I talk about cleaving, being like if you were in the middle of the ocean and you had a life preserver, you would cleave, you would hold on to that life preserver for for all your energy, all your strength. And really, that's what's supposed to happen in the marriage relationship. And uh, that, that leaving parents, uh, we're getting a little taste of that with our oldest daughter. I mentioned she got married this summer. And uh, sometimes we've been getting together here and there. And sometimes I watch her response to Joe. And she, she does, she kind of like responds to him and, and likes what he likes. And then when I say something that I think is really funny, she doesn't even laugh anymore. But she laughs every time Joe says something. What is up with that? She's cleaving to him and leaving me. <laughs> but uh, that's the way it's supposed to be. That's awesome when that happens. Now they are growing into becoming like one person. I love what Matthew Henry says when he describes marriage. This guy is from the 1600s. This is what he says. He says, the woman was made out of Adam's side. She was not made out of his head to rule over him, nor out of his feet to be trampled upon by him, but out of his side to be equal with him, under the arm to be protected, and near his heart to be loved. The imagery there is powerful. This is a guy from 
you know, 16, you know, 68. I think he lived to 1714. And this is what he wrote when it talks about this marriage relationship. But there is a difference. There is this idea that a man and a woman, a husband and a wife, does have different roles. That God has wired us differently. uh, Made us to function in different ways. And so when we think of this idea of submission, when we think of this idea of partnership, and also uh, this one that's a leader, we have to realize that submission is an invitation for someone to lead. It's an invitation for someone to lead. And specifically in the marriage relationship, we're going to see that when a wife, spouse, and we'll define what submission really looks like and some pieces with that, so don't get all nervous right in the get-go, is an invitation for a husband to follow Christ's leadership and lead in the family. Now, again, back in that opening venue, that husband wasn't leading as Christ would lead us. So that whole thing is all messed up. And when that unfolds that way, it's messed up and creates lots of room for relation slips. So so how how does this work? Well, as Paul starts to talk about this, really he's saying this. He's saying recognize and have an affirmation of both leadership and responsibility. So there's this idea of recognizing it, affirming it, of both this leadership and responsibility. And a lot of times when you're talking to young leaders, there's just a a book recently written, Motive, by Pat Losoni, and it talks about a lot of young leaders are getting into leadership positions because they want all the perks and bennies of being a leader. They want the parking space. They want the nice office. They're not, their motivation is for themselves, not the motivation to serve those in the organization. And so they love leadership, but they, they, they're not taking the responsibility. They're not understanding that they have a responsibility to the people that they're leading. They have a, a selfless responsibility. And obviously we see how Christ, as he led the church, selflessly led the church and gave himself for the church. Verse 23 again, For God has given husbands a sacred duty to lead as the anointed leads the church and serves as the head. Again, that idea of serves. The church is his body. He is her savior. Now, back in the 70s, there was this whole issue about this idea of... um, uh, submitting, serving, leading, and there's these ideas with this word that it can be source, or the idea of head can be source, so it can be the beginning. And some folks said, well, you know, really what Paul's getting out is, you know, you go back to Genesis, and, and wives got their beginning in Adam, you know, Eve got their beginning in Adam, and, and all of that. And really, uh, that may sound good at first, but it really compromises what, what Paul's getting at. Because that, that's, that's really not the case when he's describing Jesus as an example. Uh, we read back in the first chapter of Ephesians, verse 22, it says this, And God placed all things under his feet and appointed him to be head over everything for the church. Now, there's a little difference, obviously, between a husband and Christ, the anointed one. 
Uh, Some of you may think you're the anointed one in your homes, but you really aren't. I'm definitely not the anointed one in my home. But there is this idea of serving. There's this idea of leadership that is that is more than source. Uh, when we when we think about when we think about this idea of headship, we, we need to remember that uh, spiritual headship is not a license to do what you want to do, but the empowerment to do what you ought to do. Just because you have the quote unquote power to do something doesn't mean you necessarily need to do it. Some of us remember that famous old hymn that talks about Jesus being on the cross, and it says, he could have called 10,000 angels and could have been off that cross in a second. He had that leadership ability, he had that power, he had that authority, but he didn't do that for the benefit of us so that you and I could have a relationship with Christ. So as a man starts to think through, as a husband starts to think through the responsibility of headship, again, a weird word, you know, kind of feel a little weird about that, but this idea of headship, it's because now you are responsible to lead that family, make decisions that really do benefit the family. I mean, all of us who are husbands have had those times where we've had an opportunity to kind of push our way Sometimes that has been the right way, but a lot of times if we really boiled it down and we're really honest, we'd see it was just about us. That's not what it's talking about. That is not the kind of leadership uh, we're, we're looking for. You see, this idea of leadership grows when a growing servant-leader relationship can be trusted. Just like our relationship with Christ, as I trust him and I follow his lead, More and more in my life, I'm able to submit to him, even when I don't understand everything. And the same thing is true when a husband really, he's not going to be perfect, obviously, but when he's leading in such a way that it really is the intent of his heart to lead and to move the family, move the relationship in a direction that reflects Christ's love for his church, and you start to experience it, it's easier to trust. Had some opportunities to do some marriage counseling, and I have a husband and wife in there, and the, the husband's demanding that the wife respond in a certain way, and, um, and, and, I, and I just say, there's no trust. You, you've done this thing a bunch of times, and it always seems to work out that it's, it's for you and you alone. You paint it in a picture that makes it look like, wow, this is wonderful, but it really isn't. It's what you want for you. So, so, so she's not going to trust you in this. You've got to start taking baby steps, in a sense, so that that trust is grown. As a relationship grows and as that trust continues to grow, then it's easier to respond to someone's leadership because you know they have your best interests at heart. I was fortunate to grow up in a home that wasn't perfect, but I knew my parents, my mom and dad, had my best intentions at heart. Even though I didn't like it, I knew when they would want me to do something or not do something. It wasn't, it wasn't uh, to avoid inconvenience on their behalf, but it actually was because they wanted what was best for me. And because they wanted what was best for me, as I got older, I kind of could respond to it a little bit better. 
now that years went by, I could all of a sudden see what that meant. It was never that my parents were kind of trying to twist me and get me to do their thing for the sake of doing their thing for what they wanted. It was because they wanted me to be the best I could be at whatever I am. Same takes place when you have leadership. Those of you who work for a company and maybe you have a lot of things going on, when you know the person leading your company, your organization, really has your best intent at heart, it's easier when some thing comes up and goes in a different direction. You go, I don't know about this. You, you can voice it, but, but you know that the person isn't trying to, in a sense, take advantage of you. Completely different experience. And when you and I start to be able to navigate that, because again, I'm going to say that God has uh, given the husband the responsibility, the sacred responsibility, and has wired him to lead and set the tone that when that's not allowed to happen, and when it's not, and when it's, 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 it, just, it just disrupts everything. And again, it doesn't mean that we're going to see that you give your, your, your spouse a blank check and all those kinds of things, but that trust needs to be grown. And it's really hard for, for a spouse when there's a track record of, in a sense, breaking trust in this area to, to release that again. We've been down this road before. We've been down this road before. We've been down this road before. So why? I, I have a brain. I, I, I don't think this is a good idea. Why? why? And, and those other things seem to be self-serving. Uh, this really comes up with um, everybody loves Raymond. You all know him. This shirt. Why? When we first got married and you used to fold stuff, I would think, how could he be so bad at this? Look at all the wrinkles. And now I know. You faked it. What? Admit it. You faked it so I would do it for you. No, no, there was no fake. Then explain to me how you can't fold a shirt. Explain to me how an adult human with thumbs is not able to do that. I don't know. It's embarrassing. Uh-huh. Yeah? What else? What else have you faked? Well, nothing. That would come on. The bed? Now, wait a minute. That's one place I always give 110%. <laughs> I'm no good at talking. Admit it, you faked it, you faker! No! What else, Ray, huh? What else? You don't do anything in the kitchen. You don't buy groceries. You... Diapers! <laughs> Three kids and you don't change like 10 diapers in your whole life. I can't do it, the diapers keep falling off. It's not my fault the kids have no hips. All right, to make decisions around here, when you stop taking any responsibility, you don't help me at all. You can't even wash a dish. Yeah, maybe I'd wash a dish if I didn't have to look at those repulsive curtains. Enough said, huh? <laughs> Love the way Eugene Peterson paraphrases these verses. He says, Wives, understand and support your husbands in ways that show your support for Christ. The husband provides leadership to his wife the way Christ does to his church, not by domineering, but by cherishing. So just as the church submits to Christ as he exercises such leadership, wives should likewise submit to their husbands. See, that changes everything. That changes everything. We all laugh at Raymond, but none of us would want to live in that house Hopefully, we don't live in that house. That's, that's not the way God intended a healthy relationship without, with limiting relationships to function. Paul writes to the 
Christians at Rome, he writes this. Each one of us, this takes all of us, whether we're married or not, each one of us needs to look after the good of the people around us, asking ourselves, how can I help? Some of us have to stop saying, how can I be helped? We need to say, how can I help? That's exactly what Jesus did. He didn't make it easy for himself by avoiding people's troubles, but waded right in and helped them out. Completely different way. Completely different way. Again, an invitation to lead. This just doesn't happen automatically. There's a process. There's putting your big toe in the water and seeing that you can actually put the rest of your foot in. And slowly, surely, you make your way into the water. Uh, this, is, this is how this all is to work. Now, we need to realize that submission is not the same thing as obedience. This isn't, what, this isn't what's going on here is that I'm the man, you need to obey me. This isn't what Paul is getting at. In Colossians 3.18, a parallel passage, we read, Wives, submit yourselves to your husbands as is fitting in the Lord. In other words, as you exercise your leadership, husband, you exercise it is the way Christ would exercise it. Putting others first, actually giving your life for others, one step at a time. And when you are functioning this way, then your spouse responds in like. But it's not demanding anything. Remember, it is cherishing. So if you're in a situation where uh, you're trying to demand obedience from someone or someone's trying to demand obedience from you, this is not what this is getting at. Something completely different. Um, submission is not independent decisions by the husband. It's not a situation where he's calling all the shots. And this is the way it's going to be. There's conversation. There's discussion. Actually, it's a wonderful thing when the trust goes both ways and you trust your spouse so much that you wouldn't really make a decision without having her input because it's valuable to you. Uh, you find her really being your helper. And a lot of times we think of helper as a lower role, but, but in this case, it's not. It talks about in the earlier in Genesis about God making a helpmate for Adam. And we go, oh, a helpmate, that's really, that doesn't have much value. But we don't realize that that same word for help refers to, is the same description of God. In Psalm 77, verse 5, we read, I am only a poor, helpless man. Oh, I've said that once or twice, but I'm only a poor, helpless man. God, please hurry to me. You are my helper, the one who can save me. Lord, don't be too late. That concept, that word of help, is the same word to describe Eve to Adam. That's, not a, that's, that's a rescuer. That, that's a partner. That, that, that's completely different than we in our culture get our mind around. I also want to just, you know, i got to have bullets here. I can't, can't have the time to explain it all. But uh, this does not mean 
or does not limit women from the highest leadership position in business or politics. If you, again, you look at Ephesians 5, you look at Genesis 2, that is in the world of family. So just realize that when, when we're thinking about this. So, so the big question here is when we think about these roles, and again, uh, a Sunday morning, a few minutes together, doesn't solve all this doesn't get all this figured out, but it at least puts us in a path to practice what God inspired Paul to write about when it comes to husband-wife relationships and the role of wives. And so the question, you know, we have to ask ourselves is, is have you invited your husband to lead? Have you invited, have you, have you allowed him to do that? Now, there may be some circumstances where you need to roll the tape backwards and set some guidelines and have some, a lot of conversations, but, but have you ever invited him to lead? I love a little story from um, Tim Keller. Tim and Kathy Keller have been married for a number of years, uh, probably 50-plus years, and um, Kelly, uh, Kathy Keller writes this uh, little story about him, her giving Tim, her husband, the invitation to lead. Read, in the late 1980s, our family was comfortably situated in a very livable suburb of Philadelphia, where Tim held a full-time position as a professor. Then he got an offer to move to New York to plant a new church. He was excited by the idea, but I was appalled. Raising our three boys in Manhattan was unthinkable. Not only that, but almost no one who knew anything about Manhattan thought that the project would be successful. I also knew that this would not be something that Tim would be able to do as a nine-to-five job. It would absorb the whole family and nearly all of our time. It was clear to me that Tim wanted to take the call, but I had serious doubts that it was the right choice. I expressed my strong doubts to Tim, who responded, Well, if you don't want to go, then we won't go. However, I replied, oh, no, you don't. You aren't putting this decision on me. That's abdication. If you think this is the right thing to do, then exercise your leadership and make the choice. It's your job to break this logjam. It's my job to wrestle with God until I can joyfully support your call. Tim made the decision to come to New York City and plant Redeemer Presbyterian Church. The whole family, my son included, consider it one of the most truly manly things he ever did because he was quite scared, but he felt a call from God. At that point, Tim and I were both submitting to the roles that we were not perfectly comfortable with, but it is clear that God worked in us and through us when we accepted our gender roles as a gift from the designer of our hearts. Now, I hesitate telling you a story like that because you can, you can squeeze it and make it, shape it so that you get your way and the other person doesn't and all those kinds of things. But as you're processing through this, as you start to understand your roles as husband and wife, and again, as the husband takes that sacred responsibility, uh, then these things can happen that way. They can unfold that way. You see, Kathy gave an invitation to her husband to lead. 
Gary Thomas says this. He says, the typical man remains unmoved by power plays or criticism or by a wife who disrespects him. He's moved by a wife who lets him lead and then helps him get where he wants to go. And so, again, if you want to be moving in that direction, you're God, our designer, you start to understand that. And nothing motivates a healthy man, not a perfect man, but a man's trying to grow into his responsibility to see that there's an opportunity to actually be a servant leader, not a self-serving leader, but a servant leader. So what are some takeaways real quickly? Uh, First, some takeaways from this is uh, submission needs a man to be mature enough and humble enough to be a servant leader. Take some time and unpack all of what that means. Uh, Some of us men, I know when I first was married at 22, I I wasn't totally mature enough. I'm still not probably there, but I'm getting there. But I had to grow into that and walk that fine line where uh, Cindy would let me make mistakes, Cindy would let me be a little selfish, but not too selfish, and, and I, I humbly tried to move through that, learn that, and, uh, you know, uh, you know it, just, it just continues on. Then you start having kids, if you're at that place, and you're, you're learning all kinds of lessons, but that idea of being growing in maturity, growing up, and being humble enough to be a servant leader. It doesn't happen overnight. Also, their idea is submission is mainly an intelligent, happy, wise support for that leadership. Doesn't mean your wife checks her brain at the door. If something doesn't uh, seem right, she, she speaks up. But she's trying to support her husband so that he can be all that God intends for him to be. Now, we can come up with all of these things and find a couple exceptions a little around the edges of this and say, see, there's an exception. And and yes, there probably are some places where around the edges you you depart from this. But in normal situations, uh, these are takeaways. Submission is a responsiveness to his initiative taking, which is not comprehensive control, but involves you in the planning of the family. Sometimes uh, we as men are not responsible. Go all the way back to Adam and Eve. Eve's ready to eat that forbidden fruit. You read the account. Adam is right there by his side and says absolutely nothing. He doesn't say, whoa, better not do that. Doesn't say anything. He abdicates his responsibility, his responsiveness. You know, sometimes you get this whole blame game and never give a blame game. I hold Adam as much responsible, if not more responsible, for all of that because he didn't say anything. Men are famous for abdicating their responsibility. So if you're in a relationship where that's happening, uh, this isn't going to work just like, like that. You have to have lots of conversations to get there. Submission means that in a draw, you say, I trust you to do what is best. And that really is some of the application from that Tim and Kathy Keller situation. Uh, Kathy wasn't into the move. She and Tim felt called, and it was like a little stalemate. And, and Kathy said, okay, we'll, we'll follow your lead. I'm going to let you take that decision and, and roll with it. Also going along with this, submission means 
ultimately submission to Jesus that you never follow your husband into sin. When there's something wrong, when there's something sinful, you, you, you know, that's not, that's not submission. You don't follow your son to that. Again, Jesus is our Savior, not your husband. Jesus is. So you never follow your uh, husband into sin. And I need to put this in somewhere, and this is really serious. But uh, remember, remember, it, is, it never includes physical or emotional abuse. If you're in a situation like that as a spouse, uh, your leadership team is here for you to help you through that. No one should be in a situation where they're being physically and emotionally abused. That's, that is as far from submission and the meaning of it and all of that as you can get. And uh, you know, I encourage you, in the right way at the right time, let us know when we would want to come alongside you and, and help you get into a safe place. So again, coming back to what Gary Thomas says, what uh, Paul says, when you think about relationships, when you think about marriage, you think about the roles of husband and wife and wife, we need to realize that in the optimum design, the ideal, God's preferred best, you're in a situation where you have a husband that's willing to mature and grow at any age, is willing to be trusted, and then you, in a sense, come alongside him and support him in the direction and tone that he's set, setting because he's following Christ. And when you do that, you find that marriage isn't going in a great direction. One of the things, and I, I guess I'm going to say this, but uh, one of the things that's always been concerning for me for my daughters is that I've wanted them to have men in their life that are putting Jesus first, but have a direction, not an ambition to be great like in the world setting, you know, to have a big name and all this, but have some kind of direction in their life. And I've watched the girls do a little dating on and on, watched one get married. I, I noticed that they're actually looking for that. They come across some nice guys that like to go to church and all of that kind of stuff, but there's not that, there's not that direction. There's not that godly ambition. And, and, and that kind of a guy isn't enough for them. They need a kind of guy like that. And so when you think about all of this, and you think about what it means. The bottom line is this. When you get the real him, when you get who he is, how God designed him, how God designed him to be the servant leader, you actually get the real him. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, this is a huge subject. It's complicated. It's... Uh, it's life-changing on one hand. We all find ourselves in different situations at different places and ages and stages of life. And uh, Father, I ask that you would help us. Maybe it's degree at a time. Change the course of our lives, especially those of us who are married, uh, those of us who desire to be married, and understand the roles so that we can take this gift of life with another person and, and enjoy it for everything it has. 
We thank you that you're patient with us. We thank you that you are a God, a Savior of imperfect people, yet you put us on a path to grow and mature in you and become more centered in you. So I ask that uh, my friends in this room, those that are married, that they'd be able to take steps in this direction. I pray this for Cindy and I, that what our relationship looks like today will be moving in a direction that it's even better six months from now, a year from now. We thank you for the way you intended things to be. We thank you for the way you equip us to be what we need to be. And uh, we look forward to just experiencing the life you've called us to live. We ask all of this in Jesus' wonderful name. Amen. At this time in our